the touchstone was stolen, sir, by people wearing SGC uniforms who came and went through the Stargate. What? Well, who was it? Everyone involved here would like to know that, sir. Welcome back to Stargate Weekly. I'm Thad Haight. And I'm Stuart Hollis. This week, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 14, Touchstone. Show me on the ancient device where the NID touched you. Nice. Thank you. Our synopsis from TV Guide. O'Neill and the team stumble upon a secret government plot while trying to return a stolen weather device to a planet. Alright, that's... that's pretty good. The Stargate Wiki is a little more wordy, as is its wont. While attempting to study the touchstone on Madrona, SG-1 discovers it's missing. The Madronans blame the Tauri since people in SG uniforms took it earlier. Soon after noticing strange weather on Earth, SG-1 comes to the conclusion that the NID is launching secret off-world missions by using Earth's second Stargate from Antarctica stored in Area 51. SG-1 launch a mission to find the touchstone before Madrona is destroyed. I feel like the person who writes these is n- does not have English as their first language. Possibly. I, I, a secondary problem, I think, for both of these synopses is that they just, like, they skip steps. Yes. Which is weird, but... So what do you remember from this episode? I get this episode confused with... Because there's one, two, two more, uh, like, NID... Popping through the Stargate. Yeah, this episode uh, and forms a sort of trilogy with Shades of Grey and the Sentinel. Okay. And it's Shades of Grey is probably the one you're confusing it with. Probably. So I, yeah, I, I didn't remember much of the specifics about this one. Okay. I remembered almost everything because I've watched this episode routinely when I watched the other ones because I I in general, like this episode. And it's a Mayborn episode, so... Mm-hmm. With the exception of that one where he and Jack are hallucinating on that one planet, I like most of the Mayborn episodes. Yes. I like the one where they team up against Kenzie. Yes. That one's fun. Anyway. So, this one, like, th- th- this episode starts off pretty fast. Yes. Like, it's, you know, we, we, they get the they get the go-ahead to study the, the touchstone, they walk through the gate, and poof! I would have expected them to be talking about it with the leaders. The leaders give them some pushback. And all this can happen fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. And then there is... Or even if they just had like a mention of, well, we had brought up with them the idea of studying it. We got some pushback, but we have, like, we have some other ideas on how to approach the problem sort of thing. Yeah. It does seem odd, especially in this case where it seems like they... And we even find out at the end that they did manage to get someone in there to study it. 
it seems odd that this would be what the NID would steal. Well, weather control's no joke. Sure, but when you figure that they are apparently actually getting access to it to study it on the planet, I feel like the NID should be going after something that they can't access through legitimate means. Okay, so two thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. First, the NID is going to get copies of all of every SG team's mission reports, but not necessarily up to the minute details on SG-1 just discovered this this dingus, and... I mean, I guess they had to know that the dingus had been discovered one way or another. But uh, the idea of like the and like and we're gonna get and we're they're trying to get permission to study it, which which would have been if they had had the like any sort of throwaway line of we requested permission to study it, but the tribal leader who sounded really weird, like he was always sort of like half shouting even when he didn't need to. Anyway, um, maybe he was deaf as well as blind. Ooh, that's possible. Um that he uh you know it's like well we're getting you know we got some pushback from from their leader uh then the nid seeing that could be like well here's our chance better steal it Mm. secondarily we don't know that this is the first or only thing that the nid have stolen i guarantee it's not on either count exactly this is just the first thing they've stolen that has then caused the planet to tear itself apart yeah. And someone cared. Yeah, that's fair. Because they could have also torn apart any number of other planets, but no one cared because they were primordial. Hmm. Why are the Stargates on primordial planets? Yeah, this is gonna be this is gonna be a thing, sorry. <laughs> so we did sort of jump into the episode. We should talk about when this episode aired and who wrote it and all that jazz. Uh yes. Uh it aired October thirtieth. 1998, on All Hallows' Eve. <laughs> it was written by Sam Egan, who has not written anything else for Stargate, but has written a lot of TV, including a bunch of other sci-fi, uh, including The Outer Limits mm. and uh, the new Outer Limits, not the old Outer Limits. I figured. And you say new. <laughs> well, okay, relatively <laughs> speaking. Sure. Uh, the one from the early 2000s right? Uh, and uh, Sanctuary and Continuum and it was directed by Brad Turner who we just talked about last week because mm-hmm. he also directed the Tok'ra and a bunch of other Stargate SG-1 nice so in other languages it's usually called the Touchstone uh, mm-hmm. the Germans called it the Second Gate hmm. and the Czechs called it Holy Stone the Czechs lose this round. Yes, the Germans win, I think. Maybe. And one final interesting note for this is, this is our first appearance of, in this episode, Major Reynolds. He'll be back in later seasons as Colonel Reynolds, where he leads an SG team. Which one was Reynolds? Uh, he was the guy that was giving them the tour of Area 51. Oh, yeah, that's who I thought it was, but for some reason I wasn't connecting that would see him again down the road. As an SG mem- uh, as an SGC member, mm. hmm. yeah, he comes back quite a few times, I think. Yeah. So launching in, launching back into the episode, mm-hmm. I can never quite figure out Stargate placement vis-a-vis the rest of the settlement. It's very slapdash. Well, why would it always be the same? Because in almost all instances, it's be 
like the Gould put the humans there. Right, but the Gould didn't put the Stargates there. No, they didn't, but the Gould put the humans there, and it would make sense that they would then like model most of the human settlements similarly. Yeah, but there would be geographic and environmental situations that would affect where exactly the settlement was placed. I feel like in scenarios where the Stargates are like in the middle of the woods and you have to walk a mile or something to get to town, that there's no real difference in that case. Mm-hmm. And they have all this slave labor that they can use to cut down the trees and just build the town right there. I suppose that's true. I don't know. It just seems odd that sometimes in the middle of the woods... Or and middle of the woods stands in for middle of out of the way, right? Uh, and then sometimes it's like in this case where it's a hundred feet away from their holiest of holies, effectively like in like the like the center of their thing. Man, how well does that CGI not hold up? By the way, which CGI? The the glowy bits at the end. The glowy bits on the end were particularly bad. I no, I the when they. Go back outside and they see the Stargate and the world is lit up again. Oh. Honestly, I was more or less okay with it. Okay. The, the glowy bits stood out to me as bad. Uh, the glowy the, bits didn't bother me. The gate the gate graphics are okay. Yeah. You know, the puddle. I have a complaint about that, though. Is it because they dialed Abydos? No, we never saw the address. Um... No, I have a complaint at the end of the episode when the people, the Rogan ID people, dial out. Mm-hmm. The Kawoosh is smaller than the gate. It should not have burned away a perfect circle outlining the entire wormhole on the crate. Okay. Yeah, I was going to wait until we got later into the thing to talk about this, but furthermore... <laughs> Why did, like, everyone get, like, either knocked back or jump or go prone All right. when this happened? None of them are Stargate sh- noobs. It would have, there would have been a major trembling. Because, you remember when in Solitudes... Stupid they, name. Yes, they talked about how until they stabilized the gate, the whole facility shook every time they dialed. Yes, I remember this. So, this gate obviously was not stabilized, it was in a crate. So there would have been a tremor, if if you will. I thought that the stabilization was needed because they were not using a DHD, and they were just like, well, I guess this much electricity works. No, because there was a tremor in Antarctica, and that's how they found the gate. Yes. So the tremor thing, yes. The tremor thing happens unless the gate is, like, firmly anchored in whatever. Well, I think the tremor thing also happens uniquely on Earth because of the two gates. That's another reason why there could be a tremor Ooh, thing. Ooh, that's a good yeah, that's a yeah. good point. So I don't. I mean, there's almost never another instance where yeah, like it's not like we ever see a gate being like held up with doilies or something, right? Like, I mean, every other time we see it, it's like set into stone because they're probably just you know they're just redressing the same set. A thousand times. Right. So, I'm going to ascribe that to the... You are absolutely not wrong. There should have been a trimmer. Mm-hmm. I am going a step further to say that would only happen on Earth. Okay. Because of the dual gate thing. And I'm thinking it's that tremor that caused them to fall over. 
My uh, my question with that is, though, Teal had a freaking Zat. Why did he not Zat at least one of them before they went through the gate? Yeah, no, for real. Like, when, when Hammond was... Tell- that was also one of my notes. When when Hammond was like, under no service, are you to, to fire upon these people? I'm like, why aren't they carrying Zats? And I was thinking, like, oh, I guess they don't want exposure, even though they're going after rogue people who already know about the Stargate, there's no guarantee that every single person mm-hmm. they're going to meet at this weird, out-of-the-way airbase is going to be a rogue person who knows about Stargate and alien technology. So, no sets. Oh, never mind, Teal has one. Why is he not using it? Yes. How did Jack not recognize the sound of a DHT? There was that, too. There's lots of things about this sequence that irk me. <laughs> and... By the way, the Stargate wiki had a good point about the Kalush not taking up the whole size of the gate. Uh, we know for a fact that it can't take up the whole size of the gate because, well, it doesn't, it never looks like it does, but also if it did, on all those planets where the gate's sticking, where the gate is on that, you know, stone dais, yeah. there would be a groove cut out at the bottom. Right, there's that too. Yeah. So we know that the Kalush is smaller than the gate. So it shouldn't. It should have been a much smaller hole in the crate. Yes, that I had not thought about at all. No, I that particular thing about the the stone groove. No, I hadn't thought. No, that. no, no, no. The hole in the crate. I'm saying. Oh, uh, okay. Like that hadn't the idea of like the kawoosh being smaller than the puddle. Like hadn't. Yeah. Also, they totally skimped on the budget and didn't get a real C five to land and film it. Yeah. No. No joke. I could tell. <laughs> like that probably was not as obvious in the 90s on a SDTV. I bet it was. <laughs> All right, yeah, it probably was. <laughs> the real funny thing is though that like in later years, I mean they had the partnership with the Air Force mm-hmm. from very very early on. But I have to wonder if in later years they could have asked, and it also just be a timing thing. Like maybe they don't know at a certain point, like when it could, like it could just been a timing thing. There's like we just don't have a crew who can go out and film a C five landing. Because mm-hmm. uh, I don't think, like, I mean, clearly they, if they can get stock footage and they can record fresh footage, so either they didn't have a good enough relationship to get the approval or the timing didn't work out. But I also have to wonder if like years down the road when they would have had a stronger relationship where they could have asked for it, if it wouldn't have just been cheaper to CGI it. Yeah. And of course, cheapest, let's just use stock footage again. No one's really like, no one is this four second clip. Right. Yeah. is not going to be the reason why anyone's turning off our show. Yeah. No, it would have made no sense to actually get us, a C5 for this scene. Uh, no, like I said though, like you know, the idea of like being able to ring up their Air Force liaison and be like, "Hey, we need, you know, we would like to get this footage." Yeah. yeah. But I'm thinking of way down the road where there are scenes where they are in airplanes. Oh yeah. Like flying the airplanes. And those are a combination of mock-ups of just the cockpits and CGI. Yeah. So I did like uh Jack's All right. We came here in peace. We expect to go in one. Peace. Yes. That was that was good. And then not very long after that, he then uh, comes out with some problematic dialogue. Go on. Where he says that the bad guys aren't really in touch with their feminine side. Yeah, which 
I had trouble with for a couple of reasons. The obvious one that you're touching on. Yeah. And then also, it's like, that phrase is meaningless to these people. There's that, too. <laughs> Did you notice the, the, the village guard standing behind Jack with the mustache? No. He looks ridiculous because he has a mustache. <laughs> yes, he does. And he has long hair, too, which just adds to it. Yeah. So I wonder, does Hammond actually get a report if someone sneezes in the gate room? Yeah, I have that note as well. Because I recognize that it's hyperbole. But then again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that $7 billion budget has to go somewhere. <laughs> it goes to turn the lights on. <laughs> well, that's true. But, <laughs> but secondarily, just how annoyed would Hammond have to be uh, by, like, day eight <laughs> of... Getting reports anytime someone so much as sneezes next to the Stargate. It's like, okay, okay, listen. Okay, okay, listen. Clearly, all of you take your jobs very, very seriously, and I appreciate that. And so when I said, I want to report if anyone ever sneezes near the Stargate, thank you for taking me seriously. However. (laughs) Yes. So when they're talking about the weather reports and all the bad weather that's been happening... Oh, man, remember El Nino? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Talking about dating the episode. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) but go on. (laughs) I'm just wondering what which panhandle is getting the golf ball-sized hail. Is it Florida? Is it Texas? Is it Oklahoma? I thought he had said Florida panhandle. No, it's just panhandle. Oh, then it's... Okay, first of all... Anyone who says that Texas has a panhandle has clearly never actually seen an actual pan. I guarantee there are Texas-shaped pans that you can buy in Texas. Yeah, in Texas. But you know what those Texas-shaped pans have? They probably have a separate handle. A long, skinny bit (laughs) that you use as the handle. Well, see, my problem with the the statement of Texas panhandle is, if you assume that, if we're going to say that none of those look... If we're going to say that there could be a panhandle to Texas, then there's... None of them are more handily than the other ones. There's two separate parts of Texas that are equally not really handles. I mean, I was also thinking, like, the eastern section, like... I mean, like, like the western section is 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 skinnier than oh, the yeah, eastern you section. you the south part, yeah, no, you could... you If you needed to pick up part of Texas, there are three parts... You'd have an equally annoying time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. Whereas, with Florida... And Oklahoma. Thank, yes. What's the state of... I, I think it's like it's Kansas, right? That has, like, a, it's, like, mostly a rectangle, but has, like, a little, like, extra rectangular bit. That's Oklahoma. No, no. I know what the hell Oklahoma looks like. Are you thinking Utah? I might be thinking Utah, where it's, like, mostly rectangle, then has, like, an, like another square on top or something. Yes, that's Utah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, if Texas has a panhandle, Utah has a panhandle. Mm. Now, here's the question. Alaska has a panhandle. Actually, Alaska has more of a panhandle than Texas does. I mean, it kind of does. Yeah. You, yeah, no, Alaska does. I, I, they may even call that the panhandle down with, down, uh, with, uh, Juno. Yeah, that's yeah. a panhandle. Yeah. Anyway. So, do 
Alabama and Mississippi have micro panhandles? No, no. Now we're getting because if we're gonna start classifying this as like micro and macro panhandles, then Texas gets to like come in there with their ever like panhandles are bigger in Texas, like sort of nonsense. Oh no, I got just... it. I got it. Alabama and Mississippi have pot handles. Mm, okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. But that would only really work if they had them on the other end as well. Well, this has been Panhandle or Not Pan Weekly. <laughs> yes, quite. Tune in, hopefully never. <coughs> uh, which is worse, Panhandles or Rank Pips? Since we're going to be talking about Rank Pips until the day we die. <laughs> Because assuming that we keep talking about Star Trek, you're going to find a way to complain about rank designators on any other next Star Trek we talk about. And probably Stargate. Well, no, in that case, it's going to be like, well, I noticed that the star on his shoulder was 5.3 degrees out of alignment, and I'm wondering, what does that signify? That's what I'm saying, yeah. Okay. So, back to the episode, and to talk about something positive, because I feel like we have done a lot of nitpicking. Uh, I do actually generally really like this episode. I enjoyed it, yeah. There yeah. are just obviously parts that we can complain about. Yeah. Uh, this episode does have one of my favorite teal clients. In my culture, I would be well within my rights to dismember you. A lot of what I liked about this episode had nothing to do with the planet. It was oh, the yeah. like the larger, big-picture on earth intrigue happening Mm -hmm. that was enjoyable getting to you know seeing our heroes outside of the mountain that's always fun you know what would have been kind of cool what would have been kind of cool if they tied this back into secrets Ooh. instead of you know never referencing that plot line again yeah well but hey we get harry mayborn so yeah so throwing it back to last week with spirits Mm-hmm. When Jack and the team, but mostly Jack, because he, when they when they get back from Madrona, yes, Madrona, the first time around, and Jack is telling Hammond that the Touchstone has been stolen, and Hammond tells us about the sneezing. Mm-hmm. Since just on the very previous episode, who which was an indeterminate amount of time before this episode, Hammond had said, "Well, what they don't know can't hurt them." That's totally not true, though. What you don't know can totally hurt you. Oh, sorry. I thought you were telling me that Hammond didn't say that. No. I'm willing to give Jack some healthy skepticism about the idea that, hey, you know, General. Yeah. The touchstone had been stolen. And I kind of wish they had referenced that, but they were still clearly in heavy serialization. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean... Speaking of heavy serialization, wouldn't it have been cool if... Uh, Whitlow hadn't been a one-and-done character. So, tying it into and leaving an indelible pop, uh, current-time pop culture mark on this pod episode, epipod podcast episode, I don't know what to just our episode about yeah. their episode. Hmm. Anyway, the Yanny Laurel thing, are you aware of this? Yes. Right. So, I'm not explaining it. Anyway. Nah, don't bother. Yeah, who cares? Uh, for the first, like, three times that Hammond said it, I was honestly really having trouble knowing, if it, is it Whitlow or is it Woodlow? Is it Whitlow mm. or is it Woodlow? Yes, he would have been an excellent recurring character. 
I would love to have the exposition on why he owed Hammond one. Yeah, but I I like there being a certain... It's fine to leave stuff like that unsaid. We're not going to have a early days of General Hammond's yeah, like throwback episode or anything like that. And, he, and if we did, that could be when they talk about what did Hammond do to get a favor with Whitlow. But yeah, we'll get a movie someday. Hammond, a Stargate story. Well, we'd have to have like you know more Stargate first. Yeah, it's a shame there hasn't been any Stargate since Universe went off the air. That's what I'm saying, right? Uh, yeah. But I I, I enjoyed Whitlow. I thought it was cool that we we could totally have. And that's the that's what I'm talking about. They could have tied in secrets. They could have tied Whitlow in because we have shadowy stuff happening in the future. Because this rogue yeah. and idea element later morphs into the trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they totally could have tied all of this stuff together and had a continuing story with these characters and with these storylines, and they didn't. Yes, it was definitely a missed opportunity, which, you know, with the power of hindsight. Mm-hmm. And, of course, today that's what they would do. Oh, no, of co- I mean, well, today they would have, sp- like, they would spend as much time dealing with crap on Earth as they do dealing with... Oh, yeah crap not on earth and i'm not okay with that i don't think. yeah no i'm with you on that well we would have had far fewer episodes uh, we wouldn't have had yeah because we would have mostly had episodes that dealt directly to the plot so we wouldn't have the random let's go to this planet that has nothing to do with anything else in the story episodes right you know like, which we... i like i enjoy those when they're done well right yeah so you know episodes like this would feature heavily and we would have more episodes like this, where SG-1 has to go in to clean up the NID's mess, and also... Like, we would have still had the Tok'ra. Yes. But we wouldn't have had, for instance, the Gamekeeper. No, no, definitely no, yeah. Okay, so why... Why doesn't the NID have an off-world site set up? They clearly gated to somewhere at the end. Yeah. So they clearly like know where they can go so they can do a couple other quick jumps. So maybe they do have one, but why was the touchstone brought back to Earth ever at all? Mm, that's an excellent question. I mean, it, if I was them, I would minimize the number of times I was using the Earth-based gate because every single time you do, that increases the number of like that increases the probability that someone's going to cotton on to what you're doing, especially if your agents are smart enough to delete the record and the backup record, but dumb enough to skip the dialogue box that says, do you want to check the third record? Like, it <laughs> pops up on the screen. It's like, do you want to check the tertiary log? It's like, yeah. What? Not everyone would know to delete the tertiary log. Now, if someone did try to systematically erase all the relevant data, it would have been easy to overlook a third-tier backup. They just had to go through the steps of trying to reco- like of trying to find it again. Yeah. Harumph. Yeah, I know. I'm with you on that. Uh... I feel like they probably did already have something set up off-world. Yes, but it it should have been, like, their headquarters. Yes. And it will be in the future, future knowledge. Yes. Oh, uh, speaking of future knowledge, that permanent iris isn't all that permanent, is it? (laughs) Nothing is. And not even, like, it doesn't even get untapped for a sinister reason. Like, the good guys start using that gate. (laughs) Yes. But, yeah, anyway. We do the gate, the Stargate swappity do a couple times. Yeah, like two or three. 
Well, there's it's um, twice. yeah, okay, yeah, they only swap it out twice, I guess. There's in Nemesis they swap it out because, mm. and then yeah, in Redemption they have to replace yeah. it for obvious reasons. Hey, what's the little alien guy doing? <laughs> exactly. Um, so interestingly, Stargate Wiki tells me that there uh, was a Stargate novel that implies the Touchstone is furling technology. Hmm. Okay. Weird. Yes. Gotta gotta work the furlings in somehow, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. I've never read any of the Stargate tie-in novels, but I imagine they're very similar to most other tie-in novels in that they are, in general, peop- uh, when you're writing a tie-in novel, you make every chance you can to reference something, even no matter how tiny from the show, you do. That makes sense. Because you want to... I mean, partly because you're selling it to a specific audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, know, like you are, at the very least, getting your start writing these sorts of novels. I would assume because you're a fan, or I don't know, maybe you're just a incredibly prolific writer who can be like, "Well, here, have five pieces of information. Turn out a book. I already did." Before you got done saying information, I turned out the book. Um, so, like at the very least, they probably start by being fans. And so they want to see the stories that they had wanted to see on screen, but didn't. Yeah. And then at a certain point, then becomes it's like, well, I know who's buying my books, right? Because like, I've read quite a few tie-in Star Trek novels, and a lot of and you don't they are, say. Yeah, I know. Well, our listeners might not know that I've read a lot of Star Trek novels. Hey, listeners, you know how Thad's a big, huge Star Trek nerd. Surprise, surprise, the big, huge Star Trek nerd has also read Star Trek tie-in novels. Yeah, and they definitely do, they hide lots of references in those. I also wonder if it is the author's attempt to bind their work into the larger canon. That makes sense, too. Like, in the sense of being, like, if I get enough stuff worked into it that, like, references back to the show or movies, no matter like no matter what their source material is. Mm-hmm. You know, if I get enough references tied back to Han Solo and Luke and Leia, then now it becomes canon that Han and Leia have a daughter named Jade. Right. Or does Luke have a daughter named Jade? Isn't it Mara Jade? It doesn't matter. It's not canon anymore anyway. That's true. It's a legend. Right. It was a myth. <laughs> Like the Unas. (laughs) How did they get the gliders back to Earth? Well, the... Um... The the shuttle. It's a formidable craft, man. It doesn't have nearly a large enough cargo bay. (laughs) And it certainly can't survive re-entry with the bay doors open. And the the arm out. Right. I have no idea. Yeah. I I mean, like... uh, Along with how did they get out of the gliders and into the shuttle, other than just <laughs> right. like, all right, everybody, exhale, pop the hatch, and push. Like, because yeah. the gliders were disabled. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, e- and that's even assuming that a glider can survive reentry on its own. Yeah, like, did they just wait for the orbit to degrade and then hope they landed some... Well, no, they might... No, they couldn't have done that, because the- what were the odds that they were going to land in U.S. territory? It doesn't have to be U.S. territory. They're willing to go to other planets and steal their stuff. They have no problem going to other countries and stealing their stuff. Right, yeah, but those other countries would probably notice that it landed. Well, there's also the consideration that 
Unless it landed in water, and even then, because at those speeds, water is practically a hard surface, mm. that it was going to impact a hard surface. And it's not like it has a built-in parachute, unless, I don't know, do Death Gliders have built-in parachutes? Do they have a blade of shielding to survive re-entry? Like, there's a long list of questions here. I have no idea. I mean, like, even today, 20 years later, we would have no good way of bringing a Death Glider back down to Earth if it cannot, on its own, survive re-entry. Mm. And then once they do turn it into the to the F three O or the X three O one, how yep. does the thing land? <laughs> I barely understand how the thing takes off. Like the wings are like a couple inches above the ground. Uh, yeah, like they. And, and if all they would have to do at some point is just say with variable geometry wings, like good enough. You know what? That can mean anything you want it to mean, right? Including that we can like pull the wings up slightly to like flatten them out relative to the ground, so they're not, you know, on the ground. Yeah, but that's we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Yeah, future knowledge. The X three hundred one, it's rad, but not nearly as rad as the F three hundred two. Yeah, I mean, the X-301, the problem with that is they just slapped a U.S. Air Force sticker on the side of it, and, you know. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you notice how stinking slow the MALPS GPS is? Very. Like. Also, why did they have to go back to Madrona to dial? Okay, so you know how sometimes you'll be booking your flight. And you'll get this, like, wackadoo thing where you're flying from A to C to B instead of just from A to B, and that's somehow cheaper. It's like that, but with Stargates. <laughs> Valid point, they should have just dialed Abydos. They probably did anyway. Uh, yeah, especially because, like, they get into sort of, like, the short and unnecessary conversation with the Madronans. Like, where's the touchstone? We don't have it yet. You said you would get it. We're working on it. You're lying. Why would they come back at all if they were lying? That was my other complaint with that. Listen, that's been their conversation with them every single time. It's like, you stole it. No, we didn't. Yes, you did. Why would we come back if we had stolen it? Right. Like, we're working on it. You're lying. Why would we be back? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, at this point, it's sort of like, oh, you brought us back the touchstone. Why would we be back if we brought you back the touchstone? (laughs) (laughs) You didn't really bring us back the touchstone. It's a fake. Right. How could they, like, how did Jack not tell the Stargate was fake? Yeah. I'm wondering, was that, like, a reference to the fact that the Stargate is actually made out of plastic? I don't know. Maybe it is. But I want you to, real quick, touch something plastic sitting on your desk. Um. Your mouse. Mm, keyboard. Mouse isn't on the desk. Whatever. Now, please, or... You know, please, touch something metal. <laughs> yeah, but we don't know that Naquita feels like metal. It's... Okay, but we... It, there's, like, there's no way that it feels like plastic. Yeah, I don't think... Jack didn't actually touch the gate, though. I could have swore I saw him touch the gate. I don't think he touched the gate. I think okay. he just... He just opened the crate and then moved he, the He just got, aside. like, he, he just got, like, right up to it, like, a foot away and couldn't tell that it was plastic. It also took, like, Sam a long time to tell that it was plastic. And Mayborn convinced absolutely no one when he right. pretended to not know. It's like, like, this gate's plastic. Oh, <gasps> no. 
Yeah, I like how they you know they open up the hangers like, well, there it is. Like, I see a box, man. All right, come on. Like, let's let, let's go through this whole charade. Come on. They put a lot of effort into making the the plastic gate, though. Well, you know, it had to pass muster. Well, if they're gonna make a fake gate, why didn't they make it out of metal? Yep. Or something that better simulated what Naquita feels like. Not Naquita. Right. Yes, Naquita. It's made out of Yeah, Naquita. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, something that better simulates what Naquita feels like. Which I have to imagine feels more like metal or stone than it does, than it does like, plastic. And, yeah. like, I know when I'm picking up a rock, and I know when I'm picking up metal, and I know when I'm picking up plastic. Well, I do know that the SG-1 Stargate is, the prop was plastic. It wasn't actually made from Naquita? No cheapskates the atlantis stargate was rubber but interesting i and i i'm like now i'm wondering if i had it backwards but i remember like years ago there was a behind the scenes documentary not long after atlantis came out about it and they talked about that i had to imagine it was rubber like in the way that um like some combs are actually hard rubber and not plastic hmm yeah Interesting. So yeah, so so you say rubber, someone thinks like a balloon. Well, I was thinking like stage knives. Yeah, but even that building something of that size, right? Like, and then like stabilizing it, I feel like that's. I mean, good work, good prop work. Sure, good team. I have dark side guys written down, but I don't know what it. Why? It was a conversation between Jack and Hammond. I guess maybe I thought it was a weird thing to say. It's a weird thing to say. Uh, yeah. Because, I mean, obviously the whole episode is about nefarious people doing nefarious things. And another term for nefarious people is dark side people. But... Yeah, but Jack's never seen Star Wars. <laughs> future knowledge. <laughs> uh, but it's darker dark side had been bandied about more throughout the episode, it would make sense. But just like as a one and done thing to say... It it stuck out to me too. Is like that's an odd thing for him to say right now. And I also notated that Daniel has a floppy hat and that there is no Walter. Danny Daniel loves his floppy hat. He does. Yeah. I I mean I also noticed the lack of patches most of the time, which makes sense when they're on Earth. Right, because that was backing up my theory of that's why they're not carrying their zats to reduce exposure, and then Teal pulls his zat out, and so it's not around. But no, I am out of notes. Yeah. All right. I think I mostly covered everything i wanted to so yeah yeah also uh so we were talking a while ago um uh i think it was last week we were talking about how walter is basically not in season two he's basically not in season two he's been in he's in three episodes of season two all of which have already happened god it's oh man just a walterless wasteland (laughs) it's even worse that he's only in three in season three as well what yeah and then, like, after that, season two and three, he's barely in. And then after that, in every other season, he's in at least 11 episodes. But two and three, he's only in three. Wandering a Walterless Wasteland. And it's, there's going to be very, there's going to be very sparse Walter for the next long while. Waiting, wishing, wanting. Yeah. Wondering. Walter's name is Norman Walter Davis Harriman. Walter was in more episodes of season three of Stargate Atlantis than he was in season three of Stargate SG-1. Wondering when Walter will <laughs> wander Wistfully. 
Yeah, wistfully. (laughs) (laughs) And then we can welcome him back, but it just all falls apart from there. There's only so many W words. Yeah, but no, I'm just shocked now looking at this, because of course the Stargate wiki has like a chart of what episodes he's in. And yeah, he was in four episodes of season three of Atlantis. That's not even his show. And he was in more episodes of a season of Atlantis than in two seasons of SG-1. Goodness. So what you're saying is we will really get a lot of Walter by, the ve- by say, like, the fifth season he of is, SG-1. He's back for 11 episodes of season four. Okay. And that is... And then it will steadily increase. Well, no. Okay. And then it will not go... And then after... It will never be less than 11 after these two horrible seasons of No Walter. Hmm. But we will not have to wait much longer to talk about the fifth race, because that is what we'll be talking about next week. Yes, it is. Thanks for listening this week. If you enjoyed this, you should also check out our other podcast, Delta Flyer. You can refine and review both on your podcast player of choice, and you can also reach us at our email address, stargateweekly at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at Tyrannicus. You can find me on Twitter at Gamicus. And you can find the show on Twitter at Stargate Weekly. And that's our show. Yeah.